Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit simplecast.com. You're listening to the DC Public Library on Full Service Radio, broadcasting live from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, DC. I'm your host, Olubumi Bakari. I'm joined by my coworker, Victor Benitez. This episode is a part of the DCPL Presents series. Um, hello, everyone. Today's special guest is Mary Gikas. Mary is the executive director of the American Library Association. Mary, please welcome to the show. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for glad having. to be here. I'm, I'm glad you're here as well. Uh, Mary, you were serving as interim <laughs> executive director since fall of last year. And before that, you were the associate executive director of member programs and services. Mm-hmm. And you were appointed executive director at the beginning of this year. Um, congratulations Thank on you. that. Thank you. So, Mary. <laughs> What is the job of an ALA executive director? That's a really good question. Um, Your job really is to keep the whole ship, to keep the ship running, to to keep the people working together. Uh, You have both staff, you have members. it's an interesting. It's an interesting world. Uh, it has some very interesting characteristics. Um, you have a kind of a constant leadership churn. Your boss changes literally every single year. So every year you're learning a different communication pattern. You're kind of sorting out again how people want to work. You're adjusting and tweaking your work style. So that's a piece of it is to to do to do that work and then translate that down to other staff and other members. You're also dealing with uh, the full range of things that you deal with in any business. Mm-hmm. You're figuring out uh, how to generate the revenue that will pay the bills, ranging whether that's a staff salary or a conference expense. You need to figure out how to generate that money. Uh, you're, you're sorting through how to take the, um, the interests and the enthusiasms and the, um, the, the projects of, of, of a constantly changing array of people and integrate them into the fabric of an ongoing institution so that, you, so that you don't have, you're not being constantly jerked one way or the other, but you have an, something that seems smooth, seems seamless, and yet can reflect the interests and the passions of a constantly changing array of people. That's great. Uh, Mary, um, do you have a typical day-to-day, or does it range? Um, how do you find enjoyment in, in what you do mm. in your work? That's an interesting question. Actually, I love the job. I mean, it's a, it's a fascinating place to be. It, I, I don't think I've had two days that were the same. Certainly not in this position, and maybe not in the whole time I've been at ALA, which is a long time. Um, again, because the who you're dealing with from day to day changes constantly. So a lot of my day is just being present. 
um, uh, people ask me, do I work at home part of the time? The answer, generally speaking, is no, because so much of what I do is about being physically and mentally present for whoever happens, whoever needs me to be there, whether it's a staff member or an ALA member or somebody outside. Um, So my day is a lot of meetings, um, and they can range they can ping pong all over the place. You're dealing with HR, you're dealing with a, a business issue, you're dealing with um, a reporter calling, you're dealing with um, uh, just, it can be about any topic. Um, it can be about any topic in the world. It's just, it's just kind of amazing to me. That's great. Um, so Mary, you were in a few meetings this morning. For, I was. For I National was. Library Legislative Day. Just one. Just, Just one. one. <laughs> um, National Library Legislative Day um, began yesterday mm-hmm. and has continued into today. Yes. Um, can you tell us about that day um, or what was, also can you touch upon the agenda that okay. ALA brought into <clears throat> these sure. meetings? Sure. And who participates in this event? Uh, so we had almost 500 people from literally all over the country um, who were here. It's all been carefully built and put together by the ALA Washington office. Uh, Yesterday was really a learning day for almost all of us, so we spent a lot of time uh, talking up through the processes, Uh, we're talking through the issues of this year, heavily focused on library funding, on on reauthorization of LSTA, um, some focus on net neutrality. Um, so we, talking through the issues um, in the morning, spent a lot of time from midday on through the afternoon talking through the processes. What does it look like to be an, a library advocate? How do you do that? How do you weave together your day-to-day advocacy, where you live, where you work, with the kind of top-level advocacy that, that is the Library Legislative Day? Um, and that's an interesting process for many people. Um, so that was yesterday was a learning day, and today we have almost, like I said, almost 500 people kind of fanned out across both the House and Senate side of the Hill visiting legislators. When you say 500 people, um, are you talking about other librarians, other information professionals? Who uh, it's, it's mostly librarians, I would say, but I was uh, uh, quite pleased and impressed yesterday by how many people uh, in the room were trustees, were from friends of libraries groups, were other community leaders, uh, met, talked to one person who was a, a, a school principal, talked to people who were from various, various walks of life within their communities, but they were there because they wanted to make the point that libraries are important, and they're important to their communities wherever they happen to be. Um, besides um, public library funding, what would you say is the most pressing issue that libraries are facing right now or that Congress people are deciding on at the moment? I would say certainly the net neutrality issue is a big one. Um, I was going to bring that up. Yeah. And um, um, I think, you know, we're kind of keeping a, a wary eye on, on the funding for things like E-rate. Um, what is E-rate? It's the money that comes through the FCC. Um, it's, not really an, it's not really appropriated money. It is uh, funds that come through as part of the, as part of the, um, 
the way you pay for your, for your phone bill, basically. Um, and it comes through the FCC, and it's money that goes to support um, broadband services in schools and public libraries. Um, you've mentioned net neutrality twice. Uh -huh. um, for those of us who might not know what that is, um, in a nutshell, maybe can you describe what that is? And it's a very complicated thing. It's a very complicated <laughs> thing, but it's important to libraries because, um, because libraries are really enormously about leveling that playing field for people in all kinds of communities, whether they're wealthy communities or poor communities. And for that, you need to have this broad, open access to things. You can't, you don't, libraries basically don't want to be in an environment where there are fast lanes for those who can afford them and slow lanes for people who can't afford them. Okay. So, Mary, can you tell us about the information field uh, more broadly? You know, what is it? Who is a part of the information field? And what's knowledge now? What's knowledge now? Well, what an interesting question. Um, so over the time that I've been in this field, which is a long time, um, so I, uh, I, came out of, I came out of a library education program at UCLA in the mid-60s. Mm -hmm. um, and things have changed a lot since that time. What was <laughs> your first library job back then? Um, I worked for about a year in a private uh, business college. Okay doing a little bit of everything, everything from cataloging to reference, and also teaching etiquette to undergraduates. It was quite fascinating. As a librarian? Yes, okay. yes. Um, but then I went to Los Angeles Public, so I worked for Los Angeles Public and Los Angeles County in Chicago. So I've come, spent a lot of time in big urban public libraries. Mm -hmm. um, um, and, but the th things have changed so much. Uh, so over the years, there have been so many people that I worked with that I, in my mind, were part of the information field. Mm -hmm. They've ranged from, from people in all kinds of libraries, from special libraries to publics to academics and schools, um, and a few things that I'm not sure how to quite classify, but people who call themselves librarians. But I've also worked with people who thought of themselves as information scientists, whether they were, some of them were at the Library of Congress, involved in the early development of things like, like the MARC records, record format. Um, some of them have been in private, private businesses, uh, looking at things like the um, development of databases and so forth. These are people who are, I think of as being in my world, in, which is about libraries and information and how do you, the whole process of getting information to people who need it in order to function in their daily lives. And uh, at some level, anybody who, who kind of fits within that broad definition to me is in the information world. And they, they're in all kinds of businesses, they're in all kinds of places. Some of them work for Google, some of them work for Facebook, some of them work for an amazing array of places. I think it's a very, um, uh, to me, the, the, um, the, 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 the library degree is an incredibly versatile, um, it's a, just an incredibly versatile degree. What you learn is about really to think about how people look to, to, to fulfill their information needs. How do people process information? How do they ask, seek it? What do they do with it? 
And all of those questions, uh, I think, are so fundamental to the way the world works today. Um, everybody should be a librarian, really. <laughs> I agree. Uh, Mary. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I agree. <laughs> what is the most exciting thing about being in the information field for uh, you? To me, um, well, part of it really it has been the, just the sheer volume of change. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, it's, I think it's, I mean, the whole, the world has changed so much. There are professions that didn't exist when I was an undergraduate. Um, uh, huge professions that didn't even exist. Um, but, but, the, but the library world, the information world has changed so incredibly from the, com- from the, the computer and data, data processing environment to the way we even think about information. It is, it is and there's something um, just incredibly stimulating about that whole process. If you can keep, if you can keep writing that change, it's, you're, not, you're not ever going to be bored. Mm-hmm. That's a, a question that, uh, well, actually Victor and I were discussing earlier, um, talking about the library and change. And so w- what is the role of the library today? You know, um, information has changed so much. It has. Um, so where is, where, what's the library's role in providing information? Or, or another question that you can think about, Mary, is um, does the information field depend on the library or can they live independently of each other? I don't know whether the information world could live without the library, but I'm pretty sure that communities can't. Uh, whether that's a university or a school, a, a, a civic community, uh, or in fact, I think more corporations than would admit it actually need to have a library. Um, to me, there is the the libraries is kind of um, um, connection. It's the it's 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 a it's a place of connection between people and ideas. Um, uh, from across cultures, across generations, um, across formats, um, and I don't know how else you do that except with the library. I, I truly don't. I mean, it's it's the it's the it's the people who are in the library who make that happen. And there's something um, that I think is very critical to communities about that process that a librarian goes through in talking with people, in listening to people. Listening is a scarce, scarce commodity. Nobody listens. Librarians listen, Mm -hmm. and they listen to the people in their communities. They listen to the people who come to the desk. They listen to the people who aren't there. They kind of ask the question, whose voice aren't we hearing? And then try to respond to that unheard voice. (coughs) And I think that's a very... Um, critical factor in society, and I don't think the, I don't think we can do without that. Mm-hmm. In preparing for this interview, mm-hmm. um, Boomi and I were thinking of some of the users that we see in our own library. Um, this includes um, anything from kids right. to students. Right. Uh, we see a lot of homeless people here mm-hmm. in the DC area. Right. Um, 
depending on the community we live in, we see people who are poor, we see people who have more resources than right. others. Right. Um, one of my frustrations is always like reaching people who are like my peers, mm-hmm. like maybe other millennials and people who love libraries but haven't stepped in the library for a long time. Um, I, I really think that, like you say, libraries is a place where people can connect. Um, but I'm curious to know, like, how do we reach these users who are passionate about libraries, support us, but maybe still don't come often enough um, to a library? Ask them. Ask them. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, to be honest, you probably no more answers to that question than I do. I've been uh, out of, kind of away from the day-to-day practice of this field for a long time. Um, but in fact, that's, that's what you do, is you, you ask people what they need, what their interests are, what, what, their, what their pain points are, and then you think about how the library might help them reach their objectives and that's one of the reasons I think we do the radio show here mm-hmm. is it's, it's another platform to reach um, users precisely um, to connect them to what we're doing at the library Absolutely. in a different sort of format right. um, kind of going beyond the library space right. um, so. I, I think that millennials in fact are finding the library mm-hmm. I, I do I mean I think it's 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 the books themselves, but it's also the maker spaces. It's also the it's also the physical spaces. It's a uh, the physical space of a library, whether it's on a campus or whether it's in a in on Main Street. Um, again, that place where you can just come in, and nobody asks too many questions. Nobody's going to ask you, you know, why you're there, what you want. What your business is, you're just accepted, and I think that is so incredibly valuable in the world we live in. Yeah, I agree. You can be as active a participant in the library, or you can be as passive. Mm-hmm. You can be anonymous right. um, while you're at the library, or you can be um, connecting and networking with others around you. Right. So I think mm-hmm. that's the beauty of public libraries right. and open and free spaces. And I think libraries. Libraries, um, it's not that they don't recognize groups or societies or big, big swaths of society, but libraries are kind of have a unique capacity to focus in on the individual, and it's it's this it's this capacity to see each person coming into the library as an individual person. With their with unique needs, unique gifts, I think that's what's so that's what's amazing about a library to me. Yeah. Uh, it was the real for me. It was the real gift of a library. Um, our executive director um, Richard Reyes Gavilan mm-hmm. has um, in one of the things that I heard him speak on was scale, right. the idea of scale. You know, we can come into a library with our own individual like mm-hmm. issue, problem, or challenge. But then we could also scale that and think of our families. Like, right. Like, or even if we scale that even further, we can then talk about how these same issues are affecting our communities. Right. Um, I thought that was really interesting 
point in the whole scale of like we can think of ourselves or um, think of the whole community as a whole and in working together we can maybe think of solutions in, in, in um, while working in this open space that is the library I think that's very wise I mean I think that's the way you start to think and talk about healing the world, right? Mm-hmm. That's very true, yeah. <laughs> so why are some libraries public and others private? And, you know, what's the difference between the two? So I'm not sure I'm quite tracking on the question. So in the university setting, for instance, mm-hmm. it, or, the, or the K-12 setting, it really depends on, on how that particular institution is funded. Mm-hmm. In the case of public libraries, there has been, both in the U.S. and Canada, a history of subscription libraries. So that was, in fact, how many things that were... that. Um, how many libraries were initially built, even when, even when I was a university student, there were, still, there were still lingering subscription libraries, which were essentially private libraries mm-hmm. um, in, uh, available. Um, uh, you know, it just, it, if, if they exist now, I'm really not very familiar with them. Um, but it was, an, it was an interesting historical thing about libraries, mm-hmm. um, that there were um, people just, they, communities kind of came together and put money in and built a subscription library. Mm-hmm. So who would miss out on the information that are in these, like, private libraries? It, again, I think, I, you know, there are private libraries, but the, there's... The, the world has been so transformed, I think, by public libraries mm-hmm. and, and libraries that are accessible, I mean, open, in, even in private universities. Mm-hmm. You know, in fact, you can borrow books from many private universities. Um, you can get in and do research in many private universities. It, get, it depends on the, on the institution. Um, but, the, but the library world itself has worked together to build these series of networks and, and connections that, in fact, has made uh, overwhelmingly uh, the, the information of the world available to many, many people. Mm-hmm. Um, we briefly talked about this earlier, but we were talking about um, funding for public libraries. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talked about how communities are really at risk. Um, when when libraries aren't well funded, I think they are. Um, I, I, um, I was wondering if we could maybe unpack this a little more. Mm-hmm. Um, how are communities at risk um, if we start losing money for our public libraries? Where do you want to start? You want to, <laughs> you want to start with the kids who don't have a place to do their homework, or don't maybe have the human resources there, from librarians and other library staff. To, to the assistance they need. You want to talk about the lapsit programs that don't happen, so that parents kind of are get, see that modeling in terms of reading to children. Uh, you want to talk about small businesses that uh, you know. You, you walk into many public libraries and you look at these little clusters of people 
kind of intently working on their laptops together. Mm -hmm. And in many cases, what you're looking at is an entrepreneurial business, something, something being born. And there's no library. That doesn't happen. So it's, it's, uh, I think it's almost impossible to overestimate the impact of, of inadequate funding, library funding, on communities. Um, sometimes when I am doing my own work in the library, um, I hear the criticism, oh, you know, libraries are doing so much now. Um, what happened to those days where libraries were like quiet spaces? And it seems like there's this friction between what I think of as my work as a librarian and what others might think of like the library. And it tends to be this very kind of traditional image of the library versus mm -hmm. my idea of the library that's ever-changing and always kind of a dynamic space. Right. Right. Um, do you get to see this friction a lot? Um, oh, or every, how do you deal with that? <laughs> every time you go into a library, I think you see little pieces of that. Um, so I've seen different libraries kind of handle that different ways. Um, I've seen some libraries kind of set aside quiet spaces. Mm -hmm. So this is for the people who want quiet. Over here is people who want to express themselves in a, more openly. And, you know, so spaces for talking, spaces for activities, spaces for uh, maker spaces, whatever, whatever else is going on. Um, uh, libraries... Libraries have always been noisy intellectually. Mm -hmm. There's always been a lot of loud, loud thought, but now it's just more, it's right. more open. Yeah, and it, I think it also shows how libraries, and public libraries especially, because we're a public institution, we receive funding from lots of several places. Mm. Libraries in itself are very inclusive, even from how decisions are being made, Right. for the policies that are right. in place right. on a regular day. Um, so everyone has a voice in how the library itself is shaped, um, which I think is really good. I think it's as it should be. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yes, let's think about the future for a little bit. Um, so in 10, 20 years, how do you envision the library of the future? What would it, how similar would it be to a library today, or how different might it be? I'm going to assume different, because that's been my experience of the world, that it is different from year to year, that it never, it never ceases to change. And if it does cease to change, we're probably all in a lot of trouble. Um, so let's assume different. And I don't, I don't really know where that will go. I mean, I have, um, uh, we've watched the makerspaces kind of come and blossom. We've watched libraries change, loaning everything and everything you can imagine from, from books to cake pans mm -hmm. um, yeah. and all stops in between, mm -hmm. um, all kinds of equipment and so forth. Um, it, it's kind of amazing. We've watched the blossoming of teen spaces, of... Uh, some some of the extraordinary extraordinary children's spaces that, to me, rival theme park kinds of. Thing. I mean, they're just they're beautiful spaces. Um, but we've also seen libraries, um, I think, step out of themselves, out of their walls, and into their communities in a way that I think has been um, a, a really really good change. 
So people are, are librarians are going into their communities, you know, soliciting information, listening to people talk about their problems, listening to people talk about their issues, and then thinking through how the library fits into that space. How does the library help make this better? And I think libraries will keep changing, and they'll keep changing, I, I'm, I'm hopeful, along that path. How do we, as a library, look at the world around us and make it better? Mm -hmm. Because that's what we do, right. and that's why we're here, um, and that's the capacity, the gift that we have. Um, and whether that means, you know, we've watched libraries wrestle with the idea of do they do we hire social workers how does social work and librarianship fit together mm -hmm. I have uh, friends in across the border who've whose libraries have hired tribal elders mm -hmm. to deal with problems that nobody else that seemed intractable without that kind of perspective and, and knowledge base um, yes I have no idea where they'll go we're watching librarians try to to, to learn new skills, uh, to deal with the opioid crisis. Who would have imagined mm -hmm. a decade ago mm -hmm. that That's that would something be something that, that we deal with? Yeah. Who would? Yeah. Im who could you have even predicted that a decade no. ago? No. No. <laughs> Nobody could. Unfortunately. So, you know, what will happen? I don't know. But I do think that libraries will continue along that path road, mm -hmm. that pathway of reaching into their communities, listening to their communities, and becoming what the communities need to continue to enable people to connect with ideas, to connect with each other, to share ideas, to use those ideas to build their communities. And so we talked a lot about, about libraries, per se, mm -hmm. structures, and what goes on inside of them. But where do you see, or what would you like to see as far as librarians being trained mm -hmm. to work in these spaces? Like, what are some of the skill sets that you think that they would need or that they should have to, to work in the future? I, th I think that's interesting. And, and this has been the subject of, of innumerable fights within the field. Mm -hmm. uh, how, tightly do you, how tightly do you mandate requirements? You, have to, you must take this course, you must take this course, you must take this course. At the end of the day, I think my own personal position is that I don't really know. Um, I think there are, I think there are, there are values and principles related to everything from privacy, intellectual freedom, to um, to to the way that you listen to people that that you must learn as part of that education. Mm -hmm. um, I think there are. Um, there are hard skills that you need to learn. At the end of the day, we still really need to understand how how information gets organized. How do you how do you preserve the resources that we have for the next generation? I mean, one of the gifts of the library, after all, is that you can connect people and information across generations, across time. So how do how do you make that? How do you make that happen still and happen in a, in a, in a technology-intense environment, mm -hmm. which is way different than it was even two decades ago? Um, but there are other skills that I think are also important. I, how, do you, how do you advocate? 
mm-hmm. for what you believe and for what the library has. How do you listen mm-hmm. and extract from that listening the key messages that a person is, may not know how to express. I mean, how do you get to that right question that people are struggling to, to articulate? Mm-hmm. Um, how do you, um, and when, how do you scale that to listen not just to one person but to an entire community? And I think these are, these are increasingly important skills for librarianship. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, to me, it's still librarianship. Probably the most useful thing that more than anything out of a degree that I, that was very old at this point, um, was, a, was a grounding in systems analysis. So mm-hmm. the very beginning of really the information world merging into librarianship. Um, but it's been incredibly valuable because it gave me a discipline around thinking about connections and the way things moved from person to person, from function to function, mm-hmm. from organization to organization that has been, uh, for me, invaluable. Mm-hmm. And yet it, it almost never shows up on anybody's list of what you need, of what you need to be a librarian. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, when I was in library school, um, I was kind of taken into, well, I honestly didn't know where I I would end up. I was very interested in more of the emergent technologies. Mm -hmm. But then the other part of me really wanted to work directly with people. So I was like, okay, well, I'll just take skills from everywhere. And then now as I'm in my profession, um, one of the things that I always come back to is how am I helping my users think critically. How do I um, teach information literacy? And I think those those are the same questions that librarians have always asked Mm -hmm. and have been consistent since... Just the technology has changed. Just the technology is changing. The spaces themselves are changing. But really, our work has, I feel, remained the same in that we are trying to teach critical thinking skills and how to navigate information um, in, in a better way or more critically. Um, well, it's, I agree. I think it's also a question of, I mean, the, uh, how do you do that um, when in some respects you're swimming upstream? So you're, you're looking at a a, tech, a technological environment um, in which it's it becomes easier and easier for people to isolate themselves within little information bubbles, mm-hmm. so that the work that you're doing um, is not only critical, but in some respects, I think it's much more difficult because you're you're uh, you're struggling against that stream of bright, shiny, new. You're teaching f- skills that are fundamentally old, well-founded, well-rooted skills, but you have to teach them in a very different context than was true. Yeah, if, you're very right. Um, we often live in information bubbles where we may not even know that there's another point of view on, on what we know regarding a specific set of information. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, that is a challenge to try and break out of these bubbles 
and interact right. with others. Right. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I, I do think librarians are the right, they're the right people to carry that fight. Agree. Um, but it's not easy. It's it, very, no, it's very not. difficult. <laughs> no, it's definitely difficult. And in my experience as a reference librarian, it's like it's the constant challenge. Yeah. It's like how do I make sure that I'm teaching this right. um, without kind of being prescriptive, right. without kind of putting my user or my library customer down because they may not know, maybe directly or indirectly, um, but really to try and help them get, get to what they need and, and find the resources mm -hmm. that are around them so that they can get to that need. Right. Okay, so we're getting close to the end of the show, but I have five questions oh, for dear. you. That doesn't sound like <laughs> close to the end to me. No, the, but you have to answer them rapidly. Oh, okay. You ready? All right. Here we go. Who is your hero? Who's my hero? Or Shiro. Or Shiro. Oh, I missed that on the homework. <laughs> go on the next question. The next question. What's your favorite book? Oh, well, I have so many. I have so many. I'm currently reading uh, Every Word is a Bird We Teach to Sing, which is, I want to say the author is Tanit. It's fascinating. It's um, it's it's a a, a a man who describes himself as a high functioning autism with high functioning autism, and talking about the process of learning language in that context and how. But it's just it's a very different way of thinking about language. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, that so was my third. That's question. my third. But oh well, okay. See, we're <laughs> moving right along here. Okay. And what book do you do you recommend? Oh dear. That everyone to everyone. Me. Oh, I'm not sure there's anything I recommend to everyone. Is there well, a book you'd recommend to information professionals that they should read? You know, I I'm a very um, um, I, I I read everything. I read. Um, I'm not, I don't read, I'm not a genre reader, although I do occasionally like one of these or one of those. Um, I read fiction, I read nonfiction, I read business books, I read history books. I read whatever catches my eye. I'm a confirmed browser, and to me, being a confirmed browser is about the best thing you can be. I want to take a look, I want something to catch my eye and a book to reach out and grab me, and they always do, way more than... You know, I, I never, I have a terrible time getting books back on time to my library, um, really bad. Um, I always have a stack of unread books uh, all over the place. All librarians, you know, so people just, who work in, in the field have those stacks of books. Yeah, but. yeah. And I know you've traveled a bit around the world. A little bit. Is there a library anywhere in the world that you saw that stood out to you? That folks should visit. Uh, no, just visit a library everywhere you go. <laughs> I, I mean, I've, I've visited, I've gone to library programs in languages I didn't understand. So, just architecturally you know. speaking, there's no, no. I mean, yeah, there's some beautiful, there's some beautiful libraries, but that are just architecturally gorgeous. But it's just. It's, it's the process of walking into even little shopping mall libraries and seeing groups of kids or something there. Mm 
mm-hmm. you know, that's what's a library. That's what it's about. So just, just if you're traveling, go to a library. Okay. It's a rule. Well, Mary, before we wrap up, is there anything you want to tell us about AOA? Um, anything that we left out? Or do you want to say why people should become AOA members? Oh, it's the best place to meet some of the most interesting people you'll ever want to meet. It really is. There's a lot of great programming, a lot of great services. But more than anything else, it's just a, a whole lot of really great people who have. And it's that whole, there are two things in my life I believe in. Libraries and associations. And associations are really about a lot of people coming together to get stuff done. Mm-hmm. And it's that getting, coming together with other people to get stuff done that is such an essential an essential skill to learn in life and this is the best way to do it Um, this has been an episode of the DC Public Library um, presents on full service radio broadcasted live from the Lion Hotel in Adams Morgan Washington DC Mary thank you very much for joining us today it was a pleasure thank you Please visit dclibrary.org to learn more about the library's digital collections, databases, information about our free classes, events, and programs, or to reserve the library's study and meeting rooms. Follow us on Instagram at DC Public Library and on Twitter at DCPL. Listen and download the show wherever you listen to your podcasts by searching for Full Service Radio. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts, covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at FullServiceRDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening.